question. I repeat this at the risk of being redundant. The boys that heard me last year, but I, I feel it's of maximum importance and significance. Any question, any atheistic question, courageous question that any person could ask, the Gemara or the Madrashim or even the Tanakh asks this question. In Judaism, a question is encouraged. You'll find in the Gemara, in numerous and numerous places in the Gemara, the Gemara brings the questions that, that atheists asks, asked the Tanoim. It's very interesting, the whole, the whole attitude of, of, of our Chachamim, our sages, to, towards a question. A question, an honest question deserves an answer. And we don't we don't uh, maintain that we have answers to every question. You know, there's the question, you know, uh, how can a person have pchira, how can he have free choice? If the Rebbein knows what's in the future, so how do you have free choice? You know, the Rambam asks that question, he's not the only one. The Rambam, you know, on that question he doesn't say an answer. You know, he says a very interesting statement about that question, about the, of the impossibility of saying an answer to that question because of our being three-dimensional. A question is always encouraged. A question is because Judaism is a, a religion of courage, intellectual courage. You have to hear the question. Maybe some we can answer, some we say we don't answer. And moon is something else. But anyway, about today's question. You have to learn. Somebody once said that if it would be up to him, he would never learn Chumash with little children. What do you mean he wouldn't learn Chumash with little children? He says there's a big hazard in learning Chumash with little children. Why? Because they learned Chumash when they were young, and they absorbed the Chumash as Bible stories, and when they get older, they say, well, I know Chumash already, now I have to learn Gemara. And their whole concept, their whole, their whole understanding, the level of their understanding of the Chumash is juvenile. So they're always thinking about the Garden of Eden, you know, the Adam and Eve, you know, with an apple, you know. They think about Abraham, as a, some picture they saw in a book. But they fail to mature in their learning of Chumash and understanding what the Chumash is all about. I mean, and that's the source of our amuna. that's the source of our faith. So someone said, it's, maybe sometimes it's better not to learn Chumash with children, since they're never going to learn it when they get mature and understand it on a mature level. Concerning some of the questions, like your question, another few questions that were asked here today, you know, we know that there are three of us Three patriarchs, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yankif. And the Gemara says, No man, no matter how great he is, no matter what his madrega is in Avodah Hashem, no matter what kind of a tzaddik he is, no man can, can, can have the title of others. Avram is an Av, Avram Avinu, Yitzhak Avinu, Yankif Avinu, and that's it. And these are things that have to be understood 
in very modern terms. We have to ask ourselves, okay, Abraham Avinu is a big tzaddik. We don't know what a tzaddik means. Believe me, that no one in this room knows what a tzaddik means. And I'll tell you something. I believe I understand more than you what a tzaddik means, but I also don't understand it. I perhaps see more details or, or the contours of what the Indian of tzaddik is, but believe me, that I know that it's something so subtle that I fully don't grasp it. We have to, in our terms, try and understand when we say Avram Avinu, we have to want to learn and understand what does that mean? He had a long beard and long payas. His payas were longer than ours. That makes him a big man. Or, or, or he, what did he do? He davened all day. That makes him a big man. We have to search out and try and find the core, you know, to in, in a capsule. We have to, in, in, in a formula form to conceptualize what, what was of Ramavinu. And I'll ask you another question. We'll be very open, we'll talk. I'll ask you another question. The Gemara says that Avram Avinu was called Avram Ha'ivri. Avram Ha'ivri. So the Gemara asks, what, what, what is the meaning of this title, Avram Ha'ivri? So the Gemara says, Ivri means aver, on, the, on, on, on a shore, a side. On a river, there are two sides, the east side, the west side, the north side, the south side. So the Gemara says that Avram Avinu was called Avram Ivri because he was he was called Avram the side, the cider. What do, what do you mean the cider? So the Gemara says because he stood on one side of the world and the rest of the world stood on the other side. He was alone. So I was thinking, you know, sometimes I was thinking to myself, a man stands on one side of the river all by himself and the whole world is against him. As I ask myself, you know, where does a person get so much strength? You know, a person should be all alone, absolutely alone, in a, in a view, in an attitude, in a concept, and a person should know that he's at the odds and he's fighting with the whole world. What's the secret of such a person's strength? What is he? What is he? Uh, Charles Atlas? What is he? I don't know. Strong man sometimes. A strong man. He's got muscles. What? What is it? How do you? How do you define it? You know, in, in, in terms that maybe that we should have access to such strength, but we should understand it. What? Are, what are you talking about? Avram Ivri, he's on one side of the river. And the the rest of the world says he's insane, he's crazy, he's demented, he's psychotic, he's hung up, he's strung up. That's what he is. And he stands there and he's all alone. How do you understand this? There's a very subtle thing here. Very, very, very subtle thing. We have to learn two medrashim. Two medrashim that speak about, in terms of the medrash and the terminology of the medrash, 
there are two Medrashim that try to define to us what was the secret of Avram Avinu's strength. And they go in stages, one step and another step. And the second step defines the first step. The Medrash says, when the Rabbi Shalom said to Avram Avinu, the first revelation that Avram his first contact with the Rabbani Shalom, on a personal level, the first thing he told them, Lech Lecha, go, leave your father's house, leave your home, leave your friends, leave your attitudes, go, move. That was the first, that was the first contact that he had with the Rabbani Shalom. So when the Balaya Medrash came to, to define what happened over there, so the Gemara says the following, the Medrash says, Moshe Echad, it's an illustration. If you want to understand this, he says, imagine a person who's wandering around from place to place. A wanderer. He has no home. He has no roots. He's wandering around in a, in a, in a desolate desert. And suddenly, the raw bira achas doilakis. Suddenly he sees bira. Bira means a palace. Bias is a house. Bira means a palace. Ro bira achas de leka. Suddenly in the desert he sees a huge palace and it's all lit up. It was a castle. You know, pictures of a castle. Huge, you know. Great place. And all the rooms are lit up with beautiful lights. Oma soima. So this traveler who's walking around in the desolate, meaningless, barren desert. He says, Toyman, there is no architect? He began with the question, what is it possible? Seeing a mirage? Immediately hits its all of Balabira. Immediately hits its means, stuck out his head. The, the, the master, the lord of the manor came and stuck out his head and he says, Omar Lord, and he said to him, Anihu Balabira, I am the lord of this manor. I am the master, I'm the architect architect of this edifice, this complex edifice that you see. I'm, 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 I'm the one that did it. Ha! The Medrash says, this is the end of the marshal, the end of the illustration, the Medrash says, Lefisha Hoya Avramovinu Oimer. Avramovinu used to wander around and say to himself, Toimer Sha'olam Hazabaloi Manik. Avramovinu used to say, this world which was like this beautifully lit up complex palace. He says, is it possible there's not a master of this world? Toimer, is it possible? So as soon as he began to ask this question, the Rebbe Shalom appeared to him. The Omar lawyer, and he said to him, Ani hu bauhabira, I am the master of the world. Ani hu I'm the minister of the world. Now this Madrish, there are a few more lines that, if you want to learn it, you have to learn it inside. This Madrish says, this Madrish is already a wrong on a lad. Moses says that there was a person who was restless. There was a person who, ha- who didn't see any meaning in the chaos of the world. And a person who, who began to scrutinize and search and try and understand what the whole world is all about. 
And he came to a conclusion and he said, is it possible that this complex, mysterious, beautiful world is without a creator? And, and, and by force of this question, a lot of people ask this question. You go out, you take a look at the beauties of nature, a lot of people feel in their hearts that it's so. Take a look at the Grand Canyon, you take a look at the beauty of nature, you take a look at in springtime, you see the trees begin to blossom, you take a look, you see things, you study biology, you study physics, you see the mysteries of the universe, everybody feels, oh, the mystery points to a creator, the mystery. But there's a difference between, between what everybody feels and between that feeling and Avraham Avinu. This question took hold of him and mastered him. This question completely seized him. We can have this feeling and finish drinking out our can of Coca-Cola and take the can and throw it on the Grand Canyon and go further, get into our camper and ride away. But from the Medrash it appears, if you study the Medrash, that this question was steadily in front of the eyes of Abraham Avinu. He didn't take his mind off this. And this was the pivotal, this, this so influenced his life. He, he so was involved in this Shaila of Mibalabira. It was all consuming. That this, this turned around. This turned around his whole life. I want to speak to you about this point. What does it mean that such a question overpowered him so that he, everything else in life was to him subordinate? What does that mean? What does that mean? So, a few lines later in the Medrash, the second Medrash explains, it gives like an analysis of what happened to Avraham What happened to Avraham The Medrash brings a posik in Kohelis. A very interesting posik. The Medrash says, Brings a posik in Kohelis. Hachochmo toiz lechochom. Hachochmo, the wisdom. Toiz lechochom gives strength to the wise man. The posik in Kohelis, the sentence in Kohelis is discussing the relationship between chochma and the wise man. What kind? Of, what is the relationship between wisdom and the wise man? What kind of a relationship is it? He has facts in his head, he collects facts. A wise man is somebody who knows the Encyclopedia Britannica by heart, or somebody who knows Shas by heart. What do you mean a wise <laughs> man? So the Posik Shlomo Melech says in Kohelis, Wisdom gives strength to the Chacham. It strengthens him. Wisdom strengthens the Chacham. The Chacham, in his relationship with wisdom, becomes so strong, stronger than the ten rulers, shalitim, absolute dictators that rule the city with their armies and with their force. So, that the wisdom strengthens the Chachma more than, can you imagine, ten generals with ten brigades of marines. Onto the teeth, the Chacham is stronger. What does that mean? And the Madras says, that's Avraham Avinu. 
What does that mean? It's a very interesting thing. It's very, very interesting. There are two distinct areas that people mix up, that people make a mistake in. There is chokhmah, there's knowledge, and there's understanding. People don't know what knowledge is, and people don't know what understanding is. It's English words. It's, it's, you know, it's vague. Knowledge, knowledge. If you know, you know, McGinnis's book of facts, not also knowledge. Who, who, who could drink out the most water? Who's the fattest person? Who's the tallest person? Not what? You have to define here what, what Chochmah is. And you have to define, you have to define for yourself what shot. what do you mean somebody understands? What is the ideal relationship between the wise man and the Chochmah, the Chochmah and the Chochmah? Madras says the following. On the Pesach of Bereshus Bora Lekim, as HaShemayim V'Sa'aretz, the Targum Yonison says, the Targum Yonison says that Bereshus, you want to know what Bereshus is, you know what Bereshus is, that the whole cosmos and the whole world is embedded, is rooted in Chochmah. If you want to know what the goal of man is in this world, if you want to know how to gauge the greatness of a person, if you want to know how to measure the piety of a person, there is no other measure than his relationship with Chochmah. The whole world is a, the Gemara says in Psachim, Olam Hazen, is a dark place. The world is a place of shadows where it can be misinterpreted. You'll go out and ask the majority of the population in New York City, what's life all about? Life is to have a few dollars, to have a few kicks. Out of 8 million people in New York City, without a doubt, without a question, it's no question that 7.5 million people, the first thing they'll answer you is, is to have money, to have pleasure. Samuel said, maybe they're right. That's a mistake. They live with the externality of the cosmos. They live, their whole life is one commitment to sense gratification. But if you'll speak to a few people, they'll tell you that these people will live in, in despair and die in despair. Mm-hmm. Their life will add up to nothing. It's meaningless. It's all meaningless. They will tell you that there's a deeper meaning to life. That there is a chokhmah, there's a deep, there, there is a deeper chokhmah to life. Ha-chokhmah means the following. You know, I, I gave someone an example. You know, there's such a thing called hypnosis. And in science, they have experiments. They took a person, they took a person, and they deeply hypnotized him. They told him that they're taking a cigarette, and pre- a lighted cigarette, and pressing it on the palm of his hand. And they showed that by suggestion, under hypnosis, although they didn't have any cigarette by his hand, he got a wound in his hand. In other words, the suggestion was so powerful under hypnosis, they were telling him that we're burning him, that he felt as if it were burned, and it caused a wound without any heat. It's in all the psychology books of the study that you know about it. On the other hand, they tell you 
that you take a person and put him under heavy hypnosis and tell him, go out and kill somebody. They'll tell you that uh, overwhelmingly the person won't do it. So the question comes up, why is it so that you could take a person and with suggestion, with pure suggestion, without any heat, cause a wound in his hand? That far hypnosis could go. But to take a person and tell him to kill somebody, which is against his ethical structure, this you can't tell him. The terrorist is pushing. The terrorist is pushing. The terrorist is pushing. You know why? By the average individual, in his mind, in his knowledge, in his mind, in his, in, in his, in, in his intellectual, emotional mind, murder is so obvious that you, that you shouldn't do and you can't do. It's, so, it's such a reality that that reality, that knowledge, that idea is more powerful than any suggestion. As far as imagine a cigarette is concerned, you have no opinion. It's purely physical. You're coming, you're telling him you're burning him, it's under hypnosis he doesn't see. His mind is only under hypnosis. He'll get a wound. As phenomenal, as amazing as that is, he'll get a wound without a cigarette. But you come to the person's, you come to his intellect, to his emotions, you come and tell him to kill, embedded in his intellect, is such an obvious, it's with such a vividness that you cannot kill, thou shalt not kill, that no hypnosis, unless the person is a murderer beforehand, no hypnosis can, can sway him. What's the pshat? The pshat is that as far as killing is concerned, it's boring to him. And no reality can overpower him. No reality can overpower him. There is a relationship between knowledge and the knower where the knowledge is, where the knower becomes so subservient, so, he's, he's so submissive to the knowledge, his love for the knowledge is so deep that he becomes one with the knowledge. He sees. It's not that he has a fact in his head. He sees it. He, the mind is so powerful. He sees it as such a reality that it, it's the greater reality than any physical reality you'll have. So the Pusik, you want to know who Avram Avinu was? You want to know what his genius is? You want to know where it started from? So the Medri says, Avram Avinu's godless was in his relationship to Chok. There was such a... There was, he was, his relationship to Chok was so intense and so powerful and so honest with such a thirst that he stood before the Chochmah. It wasn't something, well, I know this. It's a nice thing. It's a nice thought. It's a nice idea. It's wonderful. It's inspiring. I love to hear it. Someday I'm going to think about it. Someday I'm going to act on it. It wasn't like that. The Medesh, the Chazal, the Ruach Kodesh, when they came to define to us who Avram Avinu was, what was, what was this, the Evan Pina? What was the grand stone, the, 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 the structure, the, the foundation of the structure that's called Abraham Avinu? They said, Abraham Avinu's thing was not that he was this religious and that religious and that much. He did this, then he did that, then his did this good deed, did the other good deed. 
In fact, with this you can answer a kasha that the Ramban asks. The Ramban asks, how come when the Torah speaks about Avram Avinu, it never spoke about anything specific that he did, never said he was a tzaddik. But Avram Avinu doesn't say anything. With this, the Ramban's kasha goes off. When the Torah speaks about Avram, the Gemara, the Medrash says, it was not in a specific, it was his whole approach to, to Bechuchma Sabara. That Avram had in Zich such a koyach that he stood before Chochma. How many things you take? Here's a room full of people, every one of us, including myself. We have shortcomings, we have weaknesses, we have, we have distortions in our lives that we know that we're weak in this. So, what if we know? Do we change so quickly? Why don't we change if we know? What's the source of our weakness if, if, if we know? The answer is our relationship to Chochmah is very feeble. Sure we know. It's a big madrega to know. But it's only, it remains knowledge. It's not understanding. Understanding is to mean to go through that the knowledge is so influential, so pervasive that we stand with such humility before the knowledge that it revolutionizes our whole personality. When the Medrash comes to define to us who Avram Avinu was, it doesn't say anything about it. The Medrash says it was some place in the realm of his relationship to Chochmah. We could know, we could have Chochmah, and we go along with our weaknesses, with our nonsense, with our shtusen, because it's only in the realm of knowing. It's not in the realm of, 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 of understanding. The Medrash goes backwards and says, you know, when he saw, when Avram Avinu saw, when Avram Avinu saw the, 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 the palace that was lit up, it was knowledge. You take any average human being, you take an average human being and you take him up, you take him up to, 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 to the Swiss Alps and he takes a look at their Bunchlam's world. He stands there breathtaking. He takes a look at the beauty of the world. You take him, you take him, you take him into a hospital and see how a baby was born. You take him, you show him slides of, 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 of an embryo, one week old, 40 weeks old, 10 weeks old. And you take him, you open up a biology book and teach him the laws. You teach him the laws that go on in our body, the miracles that are going on as we're sitting here. Yeah, we hear it. But in between our hearing and that overtaking and overpowering us, there's all our, all our little things are in there. We hear it, it's knowledge, it's not understanding. Avram Avinu, when he said, who is the master of this palace, he looked at the world and says, what is the world? What is the, the world is a place where, where the TV set tells you buy this, use this, have this gratification, be this animal, get this kick, get that kick, go, go, get this, go here and go there, great pleasures, take pleasures. Is that the meaning of the world? That's a selfish, egocentric, pin-brained understanding of what life is all about. But Avram Avinu, 
his relationship to Chochmah was such that he could, that somehow, the Torah says, somehow this was his genius, that he stood before the wisdom, the Chochmah that there is. His being was subservient to what he understood. Ah, the matter says a person is so such a madrega that he's that he has that koyach to sit that will lead him. The Rebbeinu began to speak to me, became an av. That on him, on him was built the whole structure. A structure can only be built. A human structure can only be built on a, on, on the relationship between the human being and chokhmah. You ask me a question. The the, 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 the vision of uh, secular studies and your, and your Torah studies. Oh, secular is important. A person has to have the maturity of understanding who he is and where he is. What he wants to be. Not everybody understands. I'm talking about. There was a person, I mean, we can't do that. There was a big. A big Rosh Hashiva, he, he made a string, he was Rabbi Yezul Horowitz, his name was. He died, I believe, uh, right after the First World War. So before he made his yeshivas, it was a very, he was a very powerful person. He locked himself in the room for nine years. You hear? Nine years in a shack. And in the shack, there were two windows, there were two holes. They used to laugh from him. One hole was where the people used to give him in milchik's dairy food. And the other hole was where they used to pass him in flesh. He didn't want it. The whole story. They used to laugh from him. So a committee of great Talmudic Chachamim went to me, never came out of the shack. They knew who he was. They knew he was a big person. They said to him, listen. They said to him, listen, you don't, you don't come to Shul. Rosh Hashanah. You, you blow Shoifah by yourself. You, you, you don't come to Shul. You're never, you're never together with the Tzibu. You're never this. You know, these were, these were criticisms, valid criticism. And he was an honest, honest person. He had to answer himself. You know what he told them? He began to cry and he told them, listen. He says, you don't know me. He says, you don't know me. He says, I want to go to shul. I want to be with people. He says, but I'm not a person. He says, I'm working to make myself a person. He says, the minute that I feel that I'm a ish yosher, I'm a straight person, I'll come between people. He says, I'm so distorted, I've got to straighten myself out. So for nine years, the guy was alone with himself. This is something we can't do, but I'm just saying as an illustration. At the end of nine years, he came out. The man founded in Russia and Lithuania and Poland over 80 yeshivas. 8-0. Over 80 yeshivas the man made. He had disciples which were big, big Talmud HaChomer. <laughs> they still have this. Some of his disciples that are still alive. In France, there's a whole long story. But the man was a pillar of fire. You know, the man, the man labored, labored to put himself straight. The question you ask me, you know, the relationship. It's a tough question. It's a question of courage, you know? A person has to say on himself, according to Ahmad Regis, I mean, do I have, is there a force in me yet, a ballast that will keep me straight, that will keep me, that keep me from the insanities of our society? We live in an insane society. There are no two ways about it. You go on a university, I mean, you know, I mean, you know as well as I do, maybe better than I do. It's an insane place. It's an insane place. It's a place that takes a person and tears him to shreds, rips him to shreds. A person can come out, you know, with his with his eyes connected to where they have to be connected. I'm not telling you not to go. I'm not telling you to go. 
There are circumstances and conditions that you can go. There are conditions that you can, that you shouldn't go. But that's already the person has to have that honesty. He has to have that honesty in saying, I have enough of a relationship with Chochme that it influences me, that it will keep me, that my eyes won't become blurred, my vision won't become distorted. The whole thing is the relationship with Chochme. This is, this is, this is, Yiddishkeit is only, why is it, why is it that, that it says in the Gemara, the Talmud Torah connected Kula, that the mitzvah of learning Torah is overpowers every other mitzvah. Why is it so with such intellectuals? No. We're not intellectuals, we're not eggheads. Because we know that man stands or falls. He falls, he's destroyed, he falls into chaos, into utter meaninglessness if he doesn't have a shachis with chachas. It requires courage. You know, just leave me alone. Leave me alone. I don't want to know. I don't want to think. Leave me alone. Don't tell me. You go into a big religious synagogue and you go up to a fellow in the middle of Christ, the Torah, people are speaking. Or in the middle of Chazar, Sashat, people are speaking. You go up to the guy and say, listen, you know, you shouldn't talk. Come on, mind your own business. Leave me alone. You don't want to talk, don't talk. What do you think? The guy's so bad? Think guys, he doesn't want to think. He doesn't want to change himself that little bit to understand that when you read the Rebani Shalom's Torah, you have to be all ears. Or when, you, when the Shatz is saying over the Phyllis, you have to listen. You don't have to be a, 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 a religious philosopher to understand that. He doesn't want to change his life that much. That much. He, he don't want to change his life. He don't want. He's so into his, his, his rut into his groove, this is the way I want to live, I don't want to change. So far away from the midah of Avram Avinu. The whole thing is what, what the relationship is with Chochmah. I told recently, somebody, I'll tell you a story. I once told you, but it's, you, you gotta... I told you, but this, these are certain stories you have to tell them over again, over again. You gotta listen what it was here. There was a Rebbe in Poland, he died in 1910, the Sochachev Rebbe, Rebbe Avram. He was a genius at Goyen Oilem, at Tzaddik. So there's in Toronto a friend of mine that his father and his grandfather was, they were, they were chassidim of this of this a Rebbe. He told me that his, his father told him that his grandfather, the Rebbe, used to say Torah Friday night by the tish, by the table. And he said Shabbos morning, Torah. And he said to Shalashud, this Torah. And then he said Torah to Malava Malk. So his grandfather, after the Rebbe finished Marav Malka, used to go out to the cemetery. It's spooky. Late, late in the middle of the night, and he would go to a certain grave of a big tzaddik that lived in that city. And he would go to the grave there, and he would cry and he would pray that the tzaddik should intervene for him and help him. What's, what's he crying about? That all the Torah that he heard Shabbos by the Rebbe's table shouldn't remain in his head, but it should go into his heart. His grandfather would cry. He don't want to be. He doesn't want to know. He wants to understand. He would cry that this what I know should become an, an, a force in my life. It shouldn't just be. I heard from the Rebbe say something smart and brilliant and sharp. We're far from that. Really, it's tough. You know, you gotta have strength. The Bria of Rama Ivri to sit on one side of on one side, Avramavina could stay only because by him his relationship with, with knowledge was such 
It was a reality. It was more reality than the fact that there were a billion people on the other side and said different than he did. That's a clue to understanding who Avraham Avinu is. And the question of, 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 of involving oneself in anything else truly depends upon a person's feeling of his strength. Because a person is sometimes as strong as a Brahmavinu, sometimes he's, 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 he's as weak as a fly. Depends on what your relationship with Chachma is. And there are no general rules. One person can go through it and come out unscathed. Another person is not allowed to put his pinky in there. Okay, gentlemen.